Good morning. Nice and chilly. This morning, they tell me it's supposed to get a little colder at some point. This will be my, my, our first uh, our winter here, so uh, apparently when we came in January, it was unseasonably warm, so that's what they tell me anyway. Well, good morning, and good morning to our viewers online. This week, we wrap up our seven-week uh, series on the Old Testament prophet Jonah. Uh, we're going to look at some of the key takeaways uh, from the book of Jonah, because I think God is showing us some things, uh, both individually and as a church, that I, I think we need to just kind of sit and let soak in before we leave this book. Uh, in many ways, Jonah is a storied presentation of the gospel. Um, while we were running from God, God was pursuing us. Um, and while we have a tremendous capacity to sin, his capacity to forgive is even greater. Um, whether we identify with the wicked Ninevites or we identify with the self-righteous prophet, um, whether we identify with the prodigal son or we identify with the self-righteous good brother, um, this is meaningful to us. So if you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about uh, the idea of everything in the book of Jonah being large. Um, the task assigned to Jonah, the storm, uh, the fear of the sailors, the whale, the city of Nineveh, the effect of Jonah's sermon, the revival that broke out, all, all of it was large. Um, there are three overarching themes of this book um, that I want to discuss today. Uh, and they too are large. Um, they, are, they are far larger than even the whale or the city of Nineveh. They are, uh, number one, the expansiveness of our sin. Number two, the expansiveness of God's grace. And number three, the expansiveness of God's mission in the world. So all of our uncertainties, all of our misunderstandings of God can be distilled down to not realizing the enormity and the impact of our sin, not realizing the expansiveness of God's grace, and not realizing the scope and the reach of God's mission in the world. Not only do unbelievers write God off, but believers do as well. Uh, we dismiss God when we, when we compartmentalize and we, and we put God on a shelf. Even this idea like, of categorizing things in life as sacred or secular implies that we, we want to put God in a box and say, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this, but you can't have this, this is mine. So in essence, we, we have a habit of minimizing our sin, of minimizing God's grace, and minimizing God's mission in the world. So, so let me start with uh, the sin, the expansiveness of our sin. As we look at the book of Jonah, we see that everyone in this book... Uh, Jonah, the sailors, the Ninevites, all of them are messed up, except for God. Uh, Jonah is stubborn and, rebel and prideful in his rebelliousness. Uh, the sailors, they worship false gods. Uh, the people of Nineveh, obviously, are full of all kinds of wickedness. Right? Sin 
is no respecter of persons. It reaches both the religious and the irreligious. Uh, it reaches both the moral and the immoral. It reaches both the self-righteous and the unrighteous. It reaches those who think that they're better than everyone and those who think that they're worse. Um, sin reached Jonah, who was part of God's community. Sin reached the sailors who were headed off to Tarshish. Sin reached the Ninevites who were on a quest to conquer the surrounding nations. And sin reaches both you and me. Um, it hits all of us, both those out there and those who are in here. There is sin both outside the church and inside the church. Often we, we focus on uh, just the, the external sins and we forget the internal ones like uh, pride and self-righteousness and unforgiveness and apathy. Uh, it was easy for Jonah to despise the Ninevites for their cruel, their wickedness, their barbarism, um, but what he couldn't see was his own sin of self-righteousness and apathy. Right? Like, like I've said in the series already, uh, Jonah was like the prodigal's older brother who thinks God owes him because he's kept all the rules. Our sin-corrupted nature, our survival mechanism, makes us think that um, I have to believe that I'm better than somebody. This is the default mode for fallen humanity. Um, it is protective. It is self-aggrandizing, lifting, right? We lift, tend to lift ourselves up. Um, our default is to trust in our own superiority rather than God's. Um, sin runs deep and it runs through us all. King David knew it. In Psalm 51, verses 3 and 5, it says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So there was never a moment all the way back to our conception when we weren't sin-free. If we're completely honest, uh, we realize that um, my entire life has been marked with corruption. Sin has affected every part of our being. Uh, there is no part of us that is entirely free of corruption and is in need of God's intervention. We will never embrace, like fully embrace the gift of God's salvation if we don't fully own our sin to that extent, right? Desperation precedes deliverance. Grief precedes glory. The cross precedes the resurrection. So that's the expansiveness of our sin. Let's talk about how large and expansive God's grace is. Put simply, God's grace is far larger and more expansive than our sin. Praise the Lord, right? Uh, the story of Jonah is all about God's grace chasing down messed up, broken, fallen rebels. God could have used another prophet uh, when Jonah ran, but he didn't. He pursued him. God could have just wiped out the city of Nineveh just with a thought, but he gave them a chance for forgiveness. 
God's ability to demonstrate grace and forgiveness and bring about restoration is infinitely greater than our ability to mess things up. The impact of our sin is like, it's like a pebble. You throw a pebble in a pond, right? And it just ripples out. The impact of our sin just ripples out through space, through time. It infects, it, it corrupts whole communities. But God's grace extends even farther, right? It is massive. It reaches both those who try to rescue themselves by breaking the rules and those who uh, try to keep them. So the proof of this expansive grace, the best proof, is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest example of grace ever. Right? We read about it in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. It says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So how effective are we in the church at proclaiming this expansive grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't think we are as effective as we should be. We often try to, like, we often reach people who are already part of our tribe instead of reaching people that the gospel was meant for. So I have a quote from Tim Keller, and I think it's convicting. Uh, He wrote the following. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted do not bother coming to our churches, even our most avant-garde ones. We tend to attract buttoned-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. So the third thing we learn from Jonah that is larger and more expansive than we realize is God's mission in the world. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible tells us that God is on mission to redeem, to restore a fallen humanity as he ushers in the future reality of the kingdom of God. Scripture shows us over and over the missionary nature of the triune God. 
as well as that, that missionary nature being needing to be the very essence of the church itself. So we see it in this word send. I'll explain what I mean. We see it in this word send. Okay? All of God's redemptive activity, his relationship with the world, how he interacts with mankind, all of it in scripture is described by this little word send. God the Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. The, the Father and the Son and the Spirit send the church. In the Gospel of John alone, there are almost 40 times where we see uh, Jesus being sent. Jesus sees himself not only as the one sent, but as the one who is sending, right? John 20, 21 says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And what I'm talking about is not just like sending missionaries abroad. I'm talking about the fundamental purpose of the church being derived from the very sending missionary nature of God himself. Um, compelling us to be a missionary people, both individually and collectively as a church. Most of us would agree that the great commission of Jesus Christ should be the primary focus of the church. You remember this in Matthew 28, right? I'll read it to you. James, or I'm sorry, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So, in other words, it means loving people who are far away from Jesus enough to reach them is of utmost importance. It is a mandate to go, not necessarily come. Right? As I said last week, it's not come and see so much as it is go and be. So I want to dig into this. Um, how can we, if we have not done so already, begin to form relationships with people who are far away from Jesus? Who is God calling us to love on and to serve in our community? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus in a way that is not marketing life church? Right? It is not promoting life church. Uh, I'm not talking about a church growth strategy. I'm talking about a kingdom mandate to go and love on people who are far away from Jesus. So over the last few decades, a lot of churches have adopted a very different approach, an attractional mode of ministry, a model of ministry. So the idea of that model is to create a safe enough environment, right, at the church for people to come and to explore the claims of Jesus through the preaching, to, through the worship, through youth ministry, children's ministry, those kinds of things. Now, that's not bad per se, but unfortunately it spawned a whole culture of religious consumerism um, where you sit and learn stuff. 
You sit and learn stuff on Sunday morning, and then you sit and learn stuff uh, in Sunday school. You sit and learn stuff. You sit and learn more stuff. You sit and learn more and more stuff. Okay? The problem is this. Uh, the Hebrew idea, and hence the biblical idea of learning, is not that at all. Uh, it is vastly different. So you and I are used to sitting in a classroom, listening to a teacher, and taking a test so that we can like reiterate what he or she has taught us, right? That's, that's learning, okay? But the, the biblical idea of learning and knowing something is not that at all. You have not learned something if you have it in your head and you can recite it. You've learned something if you've actually integrated that truth into your life, like that truth has incarnated in you. It has soaked into your flesh and your bones. You have intimate knowledge of that truth. That's why the, when the Bible talks about knowing someone, it doesn't mean having information about that person. It implies intimacy, even sexual relations. Right? Genesis 4.17 says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. So lecture-based discipleship has produced a whole lot of people who know information, but that truth does not get embodied. It does not get incarnated. It does not get integrated into our flesh and our bones. True spiritual growth comes not from just sitting and listening. It starts there, right? That's, that's the beginning. But true spiritual growth focuses on building relationships, especially relationships with people who are far away from Jesus. It then goes on to actually beginning to learn how to show God's love to people, especially to those who are far away from Jesus. It, fo- it goes on to focus on becoming a disciple maker, right? The Great Commission, I just read it to you. So what does it look like for you personally and for us as a church to unleash compassion and demonstrate what the love of God really looks like? Like, for real. What does it look like to be a missional church where missions and outreach like, isn't just like this thing, one thing we do, but it is the heartbeat of everything we do. So first off, to be missional means to be sent into the world. It does not mean expecting people to come to us. Being missional means we should engage the world the way Jesus did, right? By going out and serving and loving and building relationships with the lost, the last, and the least. Second, mission begins and ends with God. So that, that, that might sound odd, but let me explain what I mean. God is working to make the world right again. And he's doing it all over the world, right? This unstoppable, God-initiated mission 
is what we call, and I mentioned it, uh, I believe, last week, the Missio Dei, which is Latin for the mission of God. So you've heard me say this several times uh, in the past few months, like the kingdom of God, the future reality of the kingdom of God is breaking into the present, right? Whenever we see salvations, right, meaning people coming to faith in Jesus, we see prayers answered, we see people being healed, we see people being freed of addictions. The future reality of the kingdom of God is breaking into the present. God is always and has always been at work. But now that Jesus Christ has been resurrected, now that he has conquered sin and death, like all the provisions, everything that we need to bring that future reality into the present has been made available through Jesus. So if we are in Christ, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, right, to incarnate, meaning to bring into being the life, the love, the truth, the grace, and the presence of Christ all over the world, right, as he sends us out as his evidence. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is where you and I come in, right? We are ambassadors of that future kingdom. We are both invited to experience the Missio Dei, the mission of God, and to incarnate, to bring into being Christ in the world. So, let me give you a practical example. Sometimes I, I can get too heady, but let me, the meat is in the streets, okay? So, you know, people say, I want more meat, I want more meat. Well, the meat of what God's word is in the streets. You know what I mean by that? Okay, we're getting there. Okay, so here's a practical example. So uh, let's say we're in a coffee shop or a restaurant. could be either one. Um, because God is on mission in the world, he is already moving, he is already working, we know that God's presence is already there in that coffee shop or in that restaurant. He's already there. He's already working in people's lives. Right? Whether we show up or not, he's there already working. But God can minister through you when you start that conversation with the barista, with the waitress. Right? When you do that, you acknowledge that God is working in and through you. You're making yourself available to be used by God for a specific purpose to a specific person at a specific time. In that moment, you have just joined in with the mission of God. Right? And it doesn't mean like you take it from zero to 100 and like um, 30 seconds after meeting them, you know, you start like, you know, being super awkward and, you know, saying very religious things. But it means... Just, you know, how are you? Just showing genuine love. You know, how are you? It means, tip, <laughs> means tipping well. <laughs> right? Uh, that is important. It doesn't matter what you say. If you, you, don't, you leave a poor tip, that's a bad witness. Okay? If you are that person, don't let anybody know you go to Life Church. Okay? 
But literally, it's just, I'm not saying be religious. I'm saying just like meet people where they're at and listen to them and love on them. Yeah? And the Holy Spirit, as you become more aware of what he's doing, he'll tell you what to say and what to do. Make sense? Okay, so let me, let me bounce back to uh, theology a little uh, again. So an understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, right, the three in one, uh, can help us understand how this works. The Trinity um, is that mysterious relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Trinity is always drawing close into intimate relationship with one another, right? We can see that they love one another, right? The three in one, the original community of the, of the three. They, they're intimate, loving relationship with one another. They're not only drawing close into an intimate relationship with one another, they are constantly sending. So, like I said, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, Spirit sends us, the church, right? Mission always begins with an intimate relationship with God. But it completes itself with us having our, our Father's heart for uh, and serving and loving on those who are far away from him. Right? The more time we spend in his presence, the more we will develop his heart, God's missional heart. We will uh, download that heart, as Mason said. The more we spend time in his presence, we will begin to have a heart for who Jesus has a heart for, the lost, the last, and the least. So these are two sides of the same coin. Right? Always drawing close to the Lord through worship, Right? Through prayer, through soaking in God's word, being filled once again with the Holy Spirit, um, and then being sent out to show love and to serve on those who are far away from him. Right? That pendulum swings back and forth, back and forth. It is breathing in and it's breathing out. Now God can do this without us, right? He's God. He's large, he's in charge, he's sovereign, he's in control. He can do all of this. Just like in the book of Jonah, he could have done, he could have done that without Jonah. He didn't need Jonah. But we get to be a part of ushering in the kingdom and transforming lives. By his grace, we get to be a part of that. We get the privilege of participating in what the Spirit is doing. He draws us close to Jesus and then he sends us out so that we can bring his presence into the places in this world where he is renewing and he is transforming. He calls us to partner with him uh, in not only being transformed ourselves, but in being transformers of our community. Transformers. So, uh, any of you remember Transformers? Like those cars and trucks and planes and things that turn into robots and then they turn back into whatever they were. Remember that? I think that put a, yeah. Who's that guy? Optimus Prime, right? 
So I, I grew up in the 80s, and I remember watching the, the Transformers show, and I, I remember the toys. Uh, you, you know, you'd move various parts um, of the toy through a real complex set of movements, and you'd transform it back and forth from a, from a robot into whatever it was and back into a robot. Uh, it was always fascinating to me, like, who are the people who sit there and design these things? Like, that's, you're not designing this static thing, you're designing this thing that, like, has to be both and kind of thing. Anyway, uh, as a sidebar, on a side note, um, my son, uh, Aiden, now that he has a voice, he's 17, his voice is deeper than mine now, which is crazy. He went from like, ah, to, oh, you know. <laughs> uh, so he does an incredible uh, voice for Optimus Prime. Like Peter Cullen is the, is the voice actor. So when you see him, uh, feel free to ask him <laughs> to do Optimus Prime. I asked him, I said, you want, I, could, I could video you and like put it up on the thing. And I said, or I can just tell people, you know, and then everybody and their brother is going to ask you to do this. So. <laughs> What he chose. All right. So, <laughs> so think about this. <laughs> uh, God planned for us to experience an even better transformation, right? I always thought it'd be cool to be a transformer, right? Turn into a robot and stuff. But um, God, God planned for us to experience something even better. Um, he planned for us to transform from a person who has a limited life, like, I don't know, 80, 90 years, however long we live, into an infinite being that has authority over even the angels. Like, this is the transformation we have to look forward to. So, this transformation that we will each go through those of us who've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, like that will be multiplied over and over and over again as there is like a community of eternal heavenly beings. That's way more exciting than like turning into a robot. That's why. That's why this is important. So what does it look like missionally, like to live missionally, practically speaking, right? Um, so three steps. Number one uh, is worship. That seems odd, but I've alluded to why this is important already. All missional living begins with worship. Um, that is where God gives us his missional heart. Just as faith without works is dead, good works separated from an intimate relationship and a dependency on Jesus Christ is also dead. When we enter into the mission of God, uh, it requires that we first enter into his rest. The only way to become like Jesus um, and to get his heart is to prioritize like being with Jesus on a daily basis. Can't muster it up on our own. It's only in his presence that we are transformed and we get his heart. 
Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So first step was worship. Second step to living missionally um, is bringing, I would even put it this way, (laughs) being unafraid to bring Jesus into our relationships and our spheres of influence. So as an expression and an extension of worship, um, Jesus calls us to follow him into the world. We are, we are carriers of heaven's DNA. Um, we are bringers of the aroma of Jesus. And he's calling us to incarnate, right, to bring into being his grace, his truth, his love, and his beauty. Into everywhere we find ourselves, whether we, wherever we work, we live, we play. It doesn't mean that you have to go stand on the street corner and start preaching. It doesn't mean you start having, have to go door to door and share tracks. Now, every time I say that, I get people who like, tell me how they've led someone to the Lord by sharing a track with them. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't work sometimes, and if the Lord tells you to do that, you better be obedient and do it. I would say statistically, those are probably some of the least effective methods I've seen uh, in this day and age. Um, But it does mean loving on people right where they're at, right, like Jesus did. It means um, finding ways to serve them. It means finding ways to be that salt and light that Jesus talked about. It means learning how to love our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers well. It also means being unafraid to, as best as you can, to begin to integrate your faith into the workplace. Um, Because so many people spend the majority of their lives, like at least their waking hours, uh, working, it's important to see your vocation as a calling from God and your workplace as the primary realm for following Jesus and for loving the world. Does that mean, again, that you should just like start proselytizing and, and like preaching and, and handing out tracts? Not necessarily, but it does mean preaching through your actions, right? Your kindness, your love, your prayers, right? When you see a coworker going through a difficulty, um, it's fascinating to me. Even non-believers appreciate our prayers. When I was a pastoral intern, I worked... Um, at a software company um, as well. And once the word got out that I was training to be a pastor, um, it was interesting how many people would approach me um, asking me for counsel, um, for prayer, um, even obvious non-believers. It seems that even non-believers appreciate our love, our care, our concern, and even our prayers. So the third step to living missionally um, is beginning to work to bring justice and mercy into the world. Uh, Because uh, Jesus gave special attention to the poor, to the weak, to the overlooked, to the marginalized, um, like these 
These were people that were central to his heart, right? So in the coming year, uh, we will be moving more time, resources uh, towards such efforts here at Life Church. Um, I would love um, in the next year or two to see several of these kinds of outward focused ministries birthed out of this this church that really targets some of the, the, the biggest needs that are in our community. Um, some off the top of my head uh, are the elderly, those with special needs, uh, those struggling with addiction, and I'm sure there are more. Uh, we want to start with something soon. So uh, in our past several weeks in our staff meeting, uh, we've been trying to explore different uh, outreach efforts that we can take on this, this Thanksgiving, this Christmas. Um, one I'm positive that we will do uh, is some kind of like a Christmas shoebox kind of thing where we can each, each of us sign up to go shopping for a kid who otherwise, you know, wouldn't have presents for Christmas. And that one's close to my heart because, um, you know, you've heard me talk about growing up poor, like... That was me as a kid. There were Christmases where I didn't get anything, and there were Christmases where the local church was the one that provided those things. So uh, you'll hear me um, sharing more about these outreach things in the coming weeks. I've also been talking with some guys who, it's just right at the beginning, just talking about it, but pretty sure it's going to happen at some point, um, is like to do like free oil changes for like single moms, widows, those kinds of things. I mean, we have this, what's this building out back here? I mean, even in the winter, we can do oil changes out there. Um, so I'm hoping to get something like that started soon. Um, one of the things, me personally, that I've loved to do, that I've done over the years, um, is I, I, go, <laughs> I go into nursing homes, and I'll sing like a 20, 30-minute set of music. Um, done this for years. Uh, Christmas, of course, it's, it's like Christmas carols. Uh, other times during the year, I'll go in and sing hymns or like songs from musicals or like classical songs, those kinds of things. And those of you who are new, you know, it's not, you know, I, I used to be an opera singer, so that's why, <laughs> that's why I do that. Um, when COVID hit, um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me in uh, this assisted living place that I was supposed to sing in. Um, so I gave, I gave my concert outside. Uh, <laughs> I stood there and like people were like, all looking at me through the, through the windows and stuff. So I'm hoping to, to sing in some nursing homes uh, this December, right? So if you have a connection for me, email me. Because uh, I, I, I definitely want to do that. So, so ask the Lord to show you. Um, how you can use your gifts, your passions, your abilities, your experiences um, to show God's love to people in our community who need it. Right? He'll show you. It's his heart. It's like at the center of his heart. Um, at my last church, uh, we had a lady um, who was very passionate about serving kids who had special needs. Um, she started what she called a, a joy ministry and she trained up a team of what she called buddies, and uh, they, would, they would pair up with special needs kids for church, right? 
And so we became one of the few churches in town where families with special needs kids could attend. Right? That's rare. Um, so it was just a beautiful, beautiful ministry. So I'm just trying to, you know, give you some ideas of things. Uh, maybe it's a ministry to foster kids. Maybe it's a ministry to uh, women who are being abused or people struggling with addictions, like some kind of recovery support thing. Maybe it's um, a ministry to shut-ins. I mean, a lot of those in our community. I think there are so many people um, who have been forgotten in this community. People um, who would appreciate a visit once in a while from someone who cares. Right? Several years ago, uh, when I was first in, in ministry, I volunteered uh, to be partnered with someone who was in a nursing home. It was like this ministry, it was like a, I don't know what you'd call it, a buddy kind of thing. You know, you, it's like, this is my person, I'm going to commit to meeting with them once a week kind of thing. Um, the idea was just to, you know, have a conversation with them, a whole lot of listening, right? Um, so they, it's funny, they assigned me to the toughest guy on the list. Like, this guy was, like, ornery. Uh, and sometimes, like, outright mean, right? I, I guess they thought I could handle him, right? So the first few weeks uh, when we met, it was almost like he was, like, challenging me. He was, like, testing me. Um, like, he was being, like, overly abrasive to me. Um, he knew I was a pastor, and... Uh, I think he was, he was also, he was testing me to see if he could, like, scare me away, um, even with, like, crude and, like, lewd stories that he would tell me, you know. It's like, just trying to get rid of me kind of thing. So, uh, it didn't bother me. Um, he, didn't, he didn't have any idea, like, that the family I grew up in was way worse than, like, what, I'm, what he was talking to me about, right? So... <laughs> So he wasn't going to scare me away. Um, so I guess I, you know, passed his tests um, because, you know, he really started warming up to me after a couple months. And we became um, very close in a way that I don't think he had experienced in a long time. So my point is this. Um, it is a privilege to join God on his mission in the world. Learning to live missionally, uh, being salt and light like Jesus teaches, showing God's love to the lost, the last, and the least. Um, this is where God is calling Life Church. I know it. I'll stand and die on this hill. I know this is where God is calling Life Church to be the hands and feet of Jesus outside these walls and in our community. As we pursue this kind of missional living, uh, it is my prayer that Life Church would one day um, be a community of Christ followers who are regularly loving and serving and incarnating the very presence of Jesus outside the walls of these, this building. Like that, that would be one of the things we would be known for. Um, I'm excited to think and to know um, that Holy Spirit is already working in your hearts 
I know it. I've talked with several of you. Like, there are going to be some beautiful expressions of mission, of outreach, um, of God's missional heart birthed in the hearts of people in this congregation. I just know it. I, I am excited to see that happen. Um, I'm excited, too, for the cool stories of, of transformation that are coming. Um, both in our lives, as we go and be the church, right? And in the lives of those people that we impact for the kingdom of God. That's why I do what I do. Those stories of true life transformation. It's beautiful. Both for the one who says yes to being used by God. And to the one who is the recipient of that grace and that love. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, uh, it is in your triune nature, you are both deeply intimate with one another and on mission to reconcile a fallen world back to you. As the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit sends the church to bring reconciliation and healing and grace and love and ultimately transformation. Lord, we thank you. You didn't give up on Jonah and you don't give up on us. I pray, God, that you would be stirring in each of our hearts to show us individually how we can live more missional lives, but also, God, that new ministries would be birthing in the hearts of this congregation that would bring your presence to those who need you most. We thank you, God, that worship and mission are actually two sides of the same coin. Lord, help us learn to worship you more so we can invite others who don't know you or who may be hurt or broken to worship you more because it's in your presence, God that we are transformed. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.